Good evening and welcome to another edition of RPG Coast to Coast. I'm your host, Brian, and if our guests would now please roll initiative. We're rolling. You can't see that, but. He's right. We're not really rolling. Well, Joel rolled. <laughs> Thump. Zen. Okay, let's see who's first. Wait, I don't see Andy's. Andy, where's your roll? So she said I she, rolled it. So she said she rolled a ten. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, All you right. rolled. A, you rolled a physical die. No, yeah. I thought I did on here. I have. It says sidekick says. All right. No. Oh, sidekick. So, oh, we didn't get the Glenn's roll. I got mine. Mine was five. I got it. Yeah, All he right. Said boom. So and Jeff, that was then, so we had that good. You're up. Oh, you're up. Okay. Yeah. Hello. Uh, my name is attack. my name is Jeff Holheft. I am uh, one of the developers of Virtual Raza, a virtual tabletop system, uh, and uh, and uh, that's who I am. <laughs> and I'll paste the link to Virtual Raza, so people can look at it if they're curious. All right, Andy. I'm Andy Watson. I'm project manager at Fossa Games, and I'm glad to be here tonight. Nosda. I am Glenn Welch. I'm better known as Mr. Welch. Uh, I'm a comedic writer specializing in games, and I'm currently uh, finishing up the Mastara Player's Handbook for a future release on uh, DMs Guild. Um, I'm Brian with Lost Relic Industries, and I'm basically just here tonight to make sure the show gets recorded. So <laughs> let's start. Um, let's see, Jeff, did you want to pick a topic from that list? Actually, can, can I go off script? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, our role, you know, we, we did our virtual dice roll here. And I, I'm always curious about people's opinion of um, online dice rollers versus physical dice. I hate them. I, I, <laughs> I because I, I, for the longest time in, in our virtual tabletop, I didn't bother to put a dice roller in because all of my gaming friends who were using this virtual dice, yeah, this tool, and myself had these enormous dice collections. And mm -hmm. I thought, who really wants a virtual dice roller when you have all these fancy, pretty dice? I mean, you know, some of my friends, they had, you know, the, the pound and a half brass D20 that doubled as, as a weapon against invaders. Um, and, and, and it's like, why would you want to use a digital tool when you have all these dice? Uh, and the funny thing is, so, you know, everybody kept asking for one. And so we wrote one. And now everybody uses it. Nobody rolls their own dice. Except me, I still am a, I'm a holdout. I still roll my own dice. So I guess, what's people's opinion of of dice rollers? I roll bones. I hate them. So, I may use them on occasion, but I hate them. <laughs> I've got enough okay. dice to play uh, GURPS heroes by myself, so I usually just keep my dice bag going. Okay. As, it, seems, uh, it seems like we got an entire, uh, you know, audience or a speaker. The whole crowd here is in favor 
of of using real dice. Well, yes, they're pretty. Is there anybody who wants wants to take the contrary point of view, or should we move on to our regular topics? Oh, this is a great topic. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I I test software for a living, and so to me, the dice randomizers aren't always as random as we would like. They, you know, they they do things that always make you feel a little bit cheated, and it's a little bit hollow when it's just that, you know. You're not holding something in your hand too, but the randomizers aren't always great, you know. Now, now as a side note, just there, when I did the dice roller, my partner went in and did an extensive test on the entropy and randomization of our random number mm -hmm. generator because he was really fanatic about that. Um, and actually, I've, I've heard that dice themselves aren't quite as random as you think, as in that a D20 sure. is tends to be not quite balanced well. So mm -hmm. some numbers will be more or less than 5% frequency. Sure. Anyways. Um, do you have a way of, of allowing people, I, I mean, if somebody could come up with a way of allowing people to roll dice uh, at their table at the VTT and then actually see the results, um, easily you know have it just translate into the vtt that would be amazing well automatically translating would be tricky but we have a technology called cameras um and 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 we we we've actually got a camera for just uh injecting your map your 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 big you know uh whatever um tabletop map into the, the the vtt but there's no reason why you couldn't roll dice on the map and and have everyone see what the die came the dice came up as and, you know, of course, each person would need to have their own camera or each, you know, you know, physical site. It gets to be a pain, I think. You know, one camera at one map is fine. But once you're trying to look at like half a dozen maps, uh, that gets a little or half a dozen tables, that gets kind of messy. But I'm definitely myself in the, in the, I mean, I've been lucky that I've had a very, um, you know, my gaming group generally doesn't see a reason to fudge the die rolls. Um, and as GM, it's like the reason we fudge the die rolls are, oops, I didn't mean to kill the whole party here. I didn't expect to get three 20s in a row. <laughs> um you know that kind of thing. So when we fudge it, it's it's fudging it in the other direction usually. Um, so trust issues are kind of aside in in that case. That's that's the one thing you get if you don't have if you don't have trust issues in your gaming group, um, or if you have that one person, you can say everyone needs to use the online die roller. Um, I can see it comes up an issue there. Um, that's a tricky thing that can go under the, that's one of the things we can address in our various, uh, GM, uh, game mastering topics. That's actually a question or an, a sidestep. Why does anyone play with someone who you don't trust their dice roll? Like so if I don't trust you, why are you at my table? I've never understood people who are like, well, you know, and I'm like, but I don't. I, I honestly do not know. I don't get that. As somebody who ran games for a game store, a lot of times you can't turn people away from the table. Um, 
or he's there as a guest and the DM he's a friend of the DM and the DM puts up with it because they're friends. And I can uh, see that one. I mean, like if which, I was at a game store, maybe I could see it. You know, if it was a, if somebody else is the GM, I can, you know, I can be reasonable. I mean, I knew but I've met people who are GMs and they're not like, this is my best friend. You know, I'm like, then why are they here? <laughs> what is it? Yeah. I mean, if, if it's your game and he's cheating and you can't boot him or you if you ha if you can boot him, boot him. I mean, sometimes yeah. it's not possible. Uh, you know, when when I, I was told to play nice with somebody because he was a really good customer, um, but he cheated. Oh, my God. He cheated like a snake. And uh, whenever we were playing, he was right to my just to my right. So I could watch those dice roll like a hawk. I mean, it's it's not preferable, but sometimes. You know, there are situations where you're not allowed to. And at certain conventions that, you know, you, you're never going to play with him again. Right. Okay, so outside of the exceptions, why do people do it? So are y'all opposed to the idea of somebody who, like a game master or a dungeon master that helps to coach a player to be a better participant away from that? Like if they were caught doing that one time, I mean, if I mean, you're, if if it's the dungeon the it's the dungeon master's table. If he says it's okay, you you can't. You know, your only option is to leave, which uh, is an option. Yeah, but if <laughs> you're the guy in charge, it's up to you. Like, am I going to put up with this, okay. or is this guy ruining everyone else's fame? I, I think I kind of understand what you're saying to a degree. When I start a table, I'm very clear about the idea that a bad role. A botch is not necessarily a negative, and people need to understand and realize that what it is is a plot point. It is creating a lull or a low in the story so that eventually you can have a high in the story later. Therefore, it's not a negative. Like the best stories ever are not told where everything's great and smooth and happy. There has to be that, you know, and then Charlie totally went clank, 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 and the dragon knew and he ate him. Like you have to have those lows to create good apexes in the story right but i'm very clear about that up front so for me i don't see a teachable moment in you shouldn't be a, a bad person <laughs> right. does that make sense sure. like I, 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 if i wasn't clear about that up front i can maybe see what you're saying where it's like okay this is a teachable moment let's talk about why we wouldn't want to do that and what the good things that can come out of a a failed role right but yeah. since I'm clear about it up front, I, you know, for me, yeah, personally, yeah, I get it. I mean, if you're talking to an adult, I, I could see that. Um, Sketchbook raised an interesting point in the chat. Um, looks like he said in some places it may be hard to find enough people for a group, and people will tend to put up with a lot. I mean, that kind of described my my high school years. You know, mm -hmm. I had gaming group who would push the the bounds at times um you know and and you know the you know when we took up gaming the year was the role-playing gaming especially in the 80s was different in that um you're not playing to win 
you're playing to tell a story. And that was really kind of a new thing gaming wise in the eighties. It's a lot, you know, cooperative games are much more common these days. So it's not quite so the radical idea it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago. So when you're coming from the, I must roll well to win. Um, and you got a bunch of teenagers who are teenagers, you kind of have to cope with the situation or you do no gaming at all. That said, it's been a long time since I've had a gaming group like that. I mean, it has changed a lot. And that was something I was talking with some people about, uh, is the gaming bubble about to burst? Because a lot of the groups that were catering to us are starting to go out of business because they've discovered that uh, it's not that profitable. I mean, as game designers would have told you, it's like games don't make a lot. Of the 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 money you make on games is not a lot. So all these people are seeing, you know, RPGs on TV shows and celebrities play them. But now, you know, so they're they're trying. A lot of them are copying what they're seeing on on television or on streaming. But now those are starting to dry up a little. Yeah, uh, well, and, and 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 you know, RPGs are also. Um... You know, you buy a couple books and then there's not a lot of recurring purchases. I mean, some people who are really into the gaming will buy every module that comes along. But, you know, it, a lot of cases, it's you sell that first core rule book and that's your that's it. Well, OK, the the most bought book in a series is the core players, whatever you want to call it. Then you have your GMs and then everything else just kind of gradually goes down which is why you see next editions because people quit buying. And so you have to have a new edition so that you get that influx of money. Yeah. Or you have so to, when people, yeah. When people, uh, well, why is there always a new edition? Because the company will fold a few people don't buy stuff. Like, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a few that have been able, that were able to keep it going. Uh, like the old star Wars D sticks managed to just keep reinventing itself um but they're the my darling west end games yeah and it's like oh by the way you're playing rebels versus empire oh now you can play fringers oh i gotta go buy all these books well now you can play imperials it's like oh gotta buy all these books and now that was just brilliant so that, that kind of leads to a question, though. How many, I mean, because I'm thinking of the, the next editions that I've paid close attention to, which are mostly Paizo and, and Wizards. Um, and those next editions, for the most part, I felt a clear improvement. Um, I, I think good companies do try to make things better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they but didn't come across as... a lot of, but they don't, well, they're not going to say that flat out. Hi, we'd like to not like not have jobs, so please buy the new edition. I mean, that nobody yeah. wants to put it out that way. You always are trying to one improve what you've done, and two, why buy the next edition if it's not a better edition? Yeah, so look you at kind it. of have to. But marketing wise, I mean, it's I'm being flat out very honest. You have to have that, otherwise the companies go out. At the yeah. same time, that's not a good marketing scheme. Just so you know. <laughs> Well, what, it, uh, what was it? John Wick presents with how fast Seventh C Second Edition folded. Uh, it was, I'm, I'm very sad about that. So, oh, it was very pretty, but it yes. was absolutely terrible. And I had, a, I had the, I had I the. I haven't read them. Copy. I own them, like every every book. Yeah, 
but I have some of them signed, but I haven't had a chance to read them. Are they really that bad? You, you, you roll to see how many successes you get in a scene and then you spend your successes. But the problem is they're successes. You, you cannot fail unless you absolutely botch. Right. And there were some serious balance issues. The swordsman, um, you had a swordsman skill. You were infinitely better than anybody that didn't have a swordsman skill school. And it, it, it the biggest complaint with seventh C second edition was it took out the ability. It took out the risk. There was no way your character could fail normally. You would if you roll your dice, you add them together, and I think every ten points you rolled, you got a success. And then if I'm going to hit him for three successes, or I'm going to spend my three successes to do these three things right away, there was no failure. There was no chance of failure. Well, okay, but a lot of games started doing that. I noticed this a few years ago. They started basically making it impossible to botch, and it goes back to that whole why. You have to have lows in the story to create highs. Like, literally, that is how story writing works. Yeah, that's story writing 101. Right. So why the freak are so, were so many of the games trying to get rid of bad roles, botching, failures, whatever the freak you want to call it? I, I, I actually have, you know, a theory pops in my mind. So when we think about reading a story... Um, we read about a character, but that character isn't us. So if something bad happens to that character, we feel dread and we feel empathy, but it doesn't feel like it's necessarily happening to us. But when we're role-playing a character, okay, we're now imagining these bad things happening to us. And I think maybe the emotional stakes are higher. And that's why people resist it. But, but that's what makes it good. Yeah, that if you if yeah. you if the character can't fail, you fall into the Superman syndrome, where if there's no tension, there's no risk, there's no drama. Right, but that that's the kind of thing you realize after you've played a while, and you realize you're getting kind of bored. You know, but you game designers a ought to know that. And yeah. so, why the freak are they creating a game that screws up? They have to learn and do this. They need to force them to watch the. Uh, the Twilight Zone episode where the guy dies and goes to the carnival. If you've ever seen that one, I, I, I have. I, yeah. I think what it is is new players don't realize that to be an interesting game, there has to be a chance to fail. Yeah. And so, and and so the game designers are, you know, they're they're trying to pull in the new players and trying to see make it as friendly to new players it's a mistake i'm not arguing it's they're not making a mistake i'm trying to explain how this mistake gets made you kind of see it in video games too where there's a tendency to make it almost too easy i think you hit it right on the head well see i understand what you're saying but as a game designer you ought to freaking know better yeah i mean it's it's you know game design is one part story writing and one part mechanics and you, you got to know the basics of both. If you write something that is not going to challenge the players, they're going to, within reason, there's a few games where the, the point is, is not to be menaced, but to have fun. I'm about to review Teenagers from Outer Space, for example. Um, but there's still a chance of failure. You know, you, does your character die? And, and like 7th C, the one we've been ragging on, you can't. Um, and it's just, there's no... Yeah, it's like it's like ramping up all your stats in like Baldur's Gate 2, then you realize you can never get any better. Where's the challenge? 
what what's the anticipation for what's next? Yeah, I I, I think um, I think there's I, I've just noticed a lot of people over the years they don't they don't want that risk to die. They went they they don't they don't want a huge. I think there's a lot of players out there who want basically a relatively smooth sale. Um, read a book. I yeah, I understand. I understand. I see where you're coming from, I, but I think there's a range of play styles. I, I I don't think that in this case, like I understand range of play styles, and I I do understand what you're trying to say. I think I I've really I just strongly disagree. Yeah, and so, I think that that we have to go right back to what I said earlier. This is a game. And what the group is trying to do, the game is, we as a group are telling a story. To create a story, you have to have lows. Either the dice help create them, or I as a storyteller have to do some really mean shit that nobody wants me to do. Yeah. So, if the game is if the game is boring or not challenging, the players will get bored and stop playing. And if the players stop playing, the game stops selling, and your game sits and rots on a shelf. And then your your fabulous Kickstarter ends up being sold to another company because you're not moving the product enough to continue the line, which is exactly what happened with Seventh C. Well, I, I guess it, it it it's my my role in this topic to take the contrarian thing. The other thing that occurs to me is both of you are very very experienced gamers. So what is I've been accused of that? Yeah, what constitutes a challenge to you um, is probably over uh, unsurmountable to some, a much more casual gamer. Well, I mean, I don't know. The, entirely on the setting, you know, the, what's challenging in Twilight Two Thousand is completely is just absolutely uh, TPK material in D anD. D. Yeah, Wizards of the Coast has put the kid gloves on uh, fifth edition quite heavily where in first edition, if you hit zero hit points, that was it. Roll a new character, buddy. Right. No, so, I, I, you know, I, I remember that. I mean, I, there's also, I think that there, there's a, an entirely parallel question of how much state are at stake. Roll a new character. Um, it becomes how much work is it to roll up a new character? Especially, you know, especially when you know the third uh, third edition der derivations, so, where oh, uh, you need to create a, a tenth level third, you know, third edition can I make character. A correction? Uh, make a correction. Yeah, the point isn't to actually kill any of them; it's yeah, to make them think true. that they might. It's yeah. it's a roller coaster effect. You're not the likelihood of dying on a roller coaster is like min minuscule. Like you are more likely to die from being hit by lightning, and that's not freaking common either. Right, the idea is to give you the thrill of the ride, to take them to the edge where they think you might kill their character, but you probably don't. I agree. Yes, I. That is a very good point. You know, you, the players have to know what to expect when they're playing the game. If you want a death-free uh, game, you know, there's games for that. You can play the classic 7th C. If you want a death-heavy game, you know, you play World of Darkness or you play uh, the GDW stuff or you just go 
all in and play paranoia. And if you're playing paranoia, you have no you have no right to complain about your character dying. So I guess it's 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 a very good point. There needs to be a possibility for the characters to fail, not necessarily die. Right. And failure isn't necessarily death. Right. You like sometimes you got to throw the rabbit at him and make him run away. Right. Well, or just sometimes. simply that you get heard when the you know you're trying to sneak. And again, it, it's nothing terrible. It just didn't go how you expected. Yeah. Now you have a new problem. Yeah. Okay. I may you know. Okay. I have not seen some of the easier. Uh, the, the games you're referring to that have made failure so hard to achieve. Oh my gosh. Uh, New World of Darkness made it to the point where you'd have to have zero successes and still have more like ones than any other number. Like it wasn't even that you didn't have any successes. You still had to have more ones than half your dice pool or something. Like it's almost impossible. So we're not, we're, not, we're not talking like the case where it's become harder and harder to die in D&D, as someone mentions in the comments. We're talking, yeah, we're talking yeah. cases where, where, you know, if you try to sneak up on a monster, you're almost guaranteed to succeed. Right. That right. 7th C was the, uh, the ultimate example that because you're literally not rolling to see if you succeed, you're rolling to see how well you succeeded. And I mean, the first Seventh Sea was very death light. I mean, you had to you had to eat a cannonball with your face, but um, you still had to roll to succeed, or you had to roll. You know, did you did you make the number? Did you you know? It had a gambling mechanic where you could try to guess how much you were going to succeed by, and you could call that out. And if you failed the the increased uh, difficulty, you you failed, even if you would have made the regular difficulty. And that's all gone. Right. They, they they wanted for whatever reason for the players to they, they think that an exciting story is you always winning. And you know, that's not what Errol Flynn and Douglas Fairbanks taught me. You gotta you gotta kick down the hero halfway through the story. Or you kill him, and then you take him to the, uh, then you take him to the miracle worker, and then he has to, you know, uh, right. walk his way through the prince. In the long ago time, we had a D and D campaign where one of the players' characters died. They shoved him in a bag of holding and carried him around for two years out of game, like actual two years of sitting at the table off and on once a week, right? Before they could get the money and the stuff. And find someone who could do a resurrect. So the, char- the the player made a new character for that two years. And then he had a really hard time deciding which character he wanted to play now that they had resurrected his other character. <laughs> that's awesome, though. But but that's it. It's awesome. It is a great story. It is wonderful. It was engaging. And it was an oopsie and some bad dice rolls. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think our, our best uh, critical failure was uh, playing Cyberpunk 2020, and somebody with with a mono whip jumps out. They're all going to ambush. Th- does his threatening thing, rolls to hit, critically fumbles, accidentally hits the guy behind him with a mono whip. So he takes his arm clean off, and he's like, he gives the heroic speech. 
whips the thing. Then you hear the guy behind him scream. His next line was, sorry. Um, and, you know, it, was like, it completely ruined everything. But it was hilarious. And we still talk about it today. Then he had to go buy the guy a new arm. And that game can't come fast enough. The new Cyberpunk. Yeah. I, I, I played Cyberpunk. The, the ink was still wet. Quick start box set? Uh, it's not available in my area yet. Uh, they just got it off of, uh, they just headed out at Gen Con, but it's not available yeah. in stores as far right. as I can tell. I thought I saw oh, something drive through. You should have had me pick it up and send it to you. I actually had other people that that's what they wanted. Pick this up, send it to me. Uh, I'm I'll, I'm waiting for the actual Cyberpunk Red to come out. I that I think yeah, and I will say in it is somewhat it okay. Before I started working for Fossa, the first game I played was Shadowrun, first edition, ages ago. I will say I like Shadowrun more than in certain respects, story wise. But I like magic and fantasy and all that. So not that I don't like Cyberpunk, just that I liked. Yeah. The inclusion of magic and fantasy more. Yeah. Cyberpunk was, you know, like I said, it's, it, yeah, Cyberpunk's hard tech, and uh, it had some flaws. And I, when I was, uh, I was actually at a convention, and I was standing too close to Pond Smith when he needed volunteers to go play Cyberpunk three. And then I had to try to make eye contact with him when he asked me what I thought about the new game. But he's a smart man, and uh, he knows how to fix the 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 uh, issues. And I think they're trying to get us on the three topics that we suggested. So who's choosing the first topic? Well, how not to suck as a first-time GM uh, is actually kind of segues from where we were just talking. Um, and I will say the biggest mistakes I made many years ago when I was first GMing Kind of ties into something they talked about. D&D and role-playing general gaming is not a competition. And the GM is not in competition with the players, uh, which was a big mistake I made. Uh, and there are various ways I made it that perhaps I shouldn't embarrass myself too badly. Uh, but remember, you're kind of cooperating as a, a storytelling thing. Also read. Read the book multiple times before you even start. And take notes. Tab the books, if possible. Uh, you're, you're, you're first time. You're going to make mistakes. Uh, but the best part about it is if your players are first time players, they're not going to notice that you're making mistakes because they don't know what the mistakes are. So in short, take notes. No fear. Don't wet yourself in public. So my short list. Number one, remember it's a game and you should probably do your first one with friends so that everybody's cool with the fact that you're learning. It's a game. As long as everybody's having fun, you did it right. doesn't really matter what's in the rule books. Never did. Uh, let's see. Taking notes is probably the most important thing you can freaking do. 
it is the key to tying everything else back in so that it looks like you had a cohesive story, even though you're running around trying to herd cats who won't follow anything. I will, I will add on that note, if you have a player who, who uh, likes to keep a journal of the game, that is most, one of the most wonderful things to have as a GM. Oh, yeah, you can actually trick them into doing this. So what you do is you tell them that they get extra XP if they write something in character. A journal. It doesn't have to be anything long. It could be a paragraph. It could be, you know, some people are more writer-heavy than others. If you can even get part of the table to do it, they did half your fucking notes for you. Cha-ching. Making it easy. Just oh, yeah. Sure. And uh, have uh, backstories. XP cookies. Yeah, have backstories for random uh, NPCs just in case they decide to do the Boblin, the Goblin routine. Oh, I think most of us old school GMs have entire books where it's that type of stuff, or we'll print off the random generated and have a list of them just sticking in our our notebook. And don't worry about the accents. If you can pull off accents, great, but otherwise don't worry about it. I can't. They're bad. Oh, that's the one thing I was always good at is pulling off accents there. Yeah. But then again, I, I grew up in a town with a lot of people talking a lot of different ways. Don't want to talk about funny. Though nobody ever wants to hear a Cajun elf. You are wrong. Uh, we've done that. <laughs> See, I, uh, double wrong. I, I did, I did, uh, I did, um, non-evil neutral goblin or a hillbilly goblins lunch which were a great fun i just grew up around cajuns so i just picked up their accent that's a hard dialect to learn wait can you speak creole or just the accent I know a little bit of French. It's the Cajun French. It's basically regular French, though they have different uh, colloquialisms. Uh, like they have a different word for mosquito that they use, and they use that word a lot. Um, and you, you know, you throw in local colloquial local words that they use a lot. You know, the, the Cajuns live in swamps. They live in you know either far east Texas or southwestern louisiana so it's going to be about you know what you experience there because you you know you say trade bon a lot you do good dad good job there man trade bon but most people can't understand it so it's really not the greatest idea And also, don't pronounce any of the last letters in, in, in every word. So now I know you know some Creole and Welsh. That's <laughs> impressive. Well, you learn a little bit of French, uh, a little bit of Spanish, a little bit of Urdu. I was doing this Pakistani, this Pakistani chick a long time ago. And, uh, yeah, just, uh, I worked in the airport, so I didn't meet, I worked in the international wing of the airport for a year, so I didn't meet a lot of Americans at work. 
So we don't have to be like Glenn. We don't have to know every every language in the world to. But it be, helps. Oh God, does it, it help? <laughs> so you know, it's kind of funny. Y'all talked about how not to suck as a first time GM, and we've also got encouraging players to become GMs. And I have a little faux pas of my own that I'd like to admit. If y'all are cool with that, oh, um, spill it. So yeah, I, I made a horrible mistake. Um, Long time ago, uh, teenager running uh, the first edition. You, you were talking about Cyberpunk. Um, Cyberpunk, the original box set, set in 2013, not 2020. Um, and, you know, it's I was so excited to play, rolled up a character and everything. Nobody wanted to be the referee. Nobody. Nobody wants to be the game master. Um, so basically, everybody voted me into it. Um, and that's how I was encouraged as a player to become GM, which is not a great way to do it. Um, so I became the GM by default. And of course, my first mistake was as you know, a teenager with this exciting character that I had was inserting my character into the game. Um, and PCs are um, pretty powerful, you know, in general. And so it had a big influence on the outcome of the game and i really kind of robbed my players of their opportunity to shine that way so i'm admitting the whole thing that i did uh and the circumstances around it so you can feel free to um you know like uh set up a pyre and burn me or whatever at the stake virtually please not real but there there's my confession yeah, a lot of people don't understand why you don't do the new players don't understand why you don't do a uh, DMPC because they tend to dominate the story. It I mean, can be what done, but you have to be experienced and you have to know that they're a sub character that peeks in and out. Mm -hmm. And yeah, most people that's the mistake is they dominate the story and they tell everybody what to do, and then it's just not cool. I think uh, Frank Mincer did it best when he did the original uh, Red Box, where he introduced the DMPC. She uh, dominated the uh, fight against the undead, you know, helped the players, showed off that she was better than players, and promptly got killed. And the bad guy just walked away scot free. Yeah, that's a that's sort of a good intro um, to get them started. But but yeah, you've got to be really careful about that domination, and it's not it's not the same as an NPC. It's and I I think like in my case, I fell into that role because I was a player and or I wanted to be a player, and everybody else wanted a GM, and I it was sort of thrust upon me, and so I think that's a sort of a an it's an unfortunate negative situation because there's so few GMs out there. Which could lead us into the next one, or one of the other ones. You've got the pick. Well, then I'll pick mine because it flows really well into this. How to encourage players to become GMs, because we do need GMs. Blackmail. I like that. I'm very fond of that one. Uh, locally, we have a group that they run a module. And they literally play um, musical chairs. At the end of the module, they get up, everybody moves one seat over, and that's the new GM. 
Oh, wow. It's fair. It's, um, you know, impartial. They do have a problem with some of them are really good and some of them aren't. That is the drawback. <laughs> well, like he said. <laughs> I mean, well, you know, once you, it, it, there is kind of a, a, a player who's experienced GM can kind of coach the GM um, especially when, when it comes to rules details. I had, I used to have a, a player back in the early three O days who absolutely knew the rules inside and out much better than I did. Um, and I would also often turn, he was able to basically coach me when like, well, how do the grappling rules work in this particular case? Um, and, and so if you were an experienced GM playing and you're trying to encourage somebody to be new, uh, giving them the kind of the yeah we'll coach you on on the the obscure rule details can help a lot. Yeah, the the problem we had with the players, I don't say it's a problem, but I'm saying some were good and some were bad. a lot of them didn't understand problems like inflection, or uh, you know one of them spoke very monotone. Another one of them uh, wouldn't raise his voice. So you could tell when he was DM because everybody had their chairs moved over as close to the DM screen as possible. <laughs> you know, it was, like, it was just, he was not a very loud person in real life. Uh, meanwhile, I, you know, I, when I DM people across, you know, the street will yell me, yell at what their uh, character's actions are. Um, so yeah, you you know you want to you want to encourage people by showing them you know by trying to make it like a shared responsibility, but the players have to give the the new DM feedback on how to make it better. You know, play to their tell them what their strengths are, and you know help them ease out the weaker spots. So kind of what I heard is that not everybody's just going to be good at being a GM or a DM. Not everybody starts out good. I was not good when I first started it. I was unsure and not everybody starts out good or great even or even hell half assed. Sometimes it's a it's you have to pick up skills like faking it till you make it. You know, yeah. pretending you know what's going on because they don't actually know that you don't until, you know, they smell fear <laughs> type of thing, right? It's true, and, though. Yeah. If you're unsure of your story, go ahead and start with the module. You don't have to go with a, I homebrew everything. Yeah, sure. I highly recommend you start with a module because it's written, especially the better ones, they're written by people who know what they're doing, who are being paid to write this to help you with it. Um, Admit to the players you don't always know all the rules. And that it's okay if they know a rule better or that you guys can stop and look up the freaking rule. And if there's a grognard in your local gaming area, ask him or her. You know, like, what, what do you recommend I do? Because, like, somebody would ask me, uh, what module should I start with? And I can, I can recite chapter and verse and show them, I can even loan them a module that was designed to help new DMs play the game. And we can also warn you which ones to avoid. Go to, believe it or not, seminars at conventions. I've done a hundred of them, if not more. 
on GMing, on gaming, on and I, you know, ask questions, listen to them, get my freaking email and email me. Oh, Somebody you're, else. You're or Glenn. Lucky. Email Glenn. Oh, oh, don't. Yeah. Every time I go to those conventions, they, they tie me to a chair and tell me, make me tell jokes. See? Yeah. But um, ask questions. Yeah. I, I would also let them try a small amount. Being a GM is very different than being a player. Um, and, you know, they might GM for three sessions and decide that this isn't for me. So they, they shouldn't feel committed to multiple weeks of GMing if it turns out that it doesn't play to their strengths or their interest. Run a module, run a short one. I run took a, a kid's group. I was running a kid's group. Don't ask. But I was. And I had, they were all playing. They all started at about age nine. They were all gaming. And then I think when they hit around 12-ish as a whole general number, I made each and every one of them GM once. Didn't have to be a long thing. Didn't have to be a big thing. They could pick the system. But they all had to try it once. If nothing else, you learn respect for the GM and what they go through. And there's games that are friendly, that are newbie friendly, uh, not just modules, but you know you you can play some games that like you don't want to throw a new player into Pathfinder with the you know the, the 500 page book when you have the opportunity to play you know what's you want it? you want to laugh that's hmm. nine year olds you know what I started them on Fatal Three X. Um, I actually looked at a player once who would not read the two pages in Pathfinders for his um, class and was like, if my nine-year-old can handle it, your ass can handle it. Hmm. I think the one that I broke the most players in on was Street Fighter because it's, uh, one, you can't die, and two, we played it mostly comedic. But it they, they were able to understand the... Uh, the, the the way a game works. And, you know, it was kid gloves all the way, though. And then they, when they, when they broke free from me, they went out and grabbed a, book, a game that, that interested them, and they played that instead, which was um, the, 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 fa the fantasy, the fantasy flight games rip off of Final Fantasy. Anima? Is that it? But yeah, one thing is you got to find one extremely important thing is to find a game that you and your players both want to play. You you may want to play Traveler, but if you're if you're uh, if your players want to play Elves, you're you're not going to have anybody that wants to play with you. Then you play Spelljammer. Yeah. I love Spelljammer as a setting. That was an awesome Elves setting. Elves in space. The only problem with Spelljammer was the rules. <laughs> they uh well, speaking of which if you find a game and it's not what you were hoping it would be pick a different game yeah um i, I was just playing in a campaign where everybody decided they wanted to play call of cthulhu instead because they really didn't like their characters i guess truth of the matter is is that it's a game we're supposed to be having fun if it's not fun we change it to we're having fun yeah 
And that was something that took me a while to learn uh, as an early GM. It was too, uh, it, when I was young, it was a competition. And well. Can we sidestep for a second? Sure. Absolutely. Okay. So I'm old. Glenn may have noticed. I don't know about I the rest of you. Hi, one second. So, gaming is not a competition. It is an exercise in group storytelling. I've been preaching this to the choir for ages, right? Until recently, I found out that they now have competitive RPG, which I don't get. I understand that there's some sort of point system. Have any of you guys done this? Yeah, that would. Do you know anything about it? They did that with the RPGA all the way back in the day. Yeah, that's um, been around. It wasn't, but it's not. It's not PvP. It's uh, like Journey to the Rock. If you remember that old module, where you'd have ten different groups playing the exact same module, and whoever does the the most successful, uh, I guess, version of the module or who gets the furthest, they win. Um, yeah, they all have like the same pre-generated characters, and is like who right. made it through the quickest was was the best, you know, the winning team or something. Yes, um, from what I can tell, it's very similar to the, the same thing. But they're they're trying to make it like who's going to you know get through there. They're they're hyping it up, but it's old. It's a very old idea. It's been done before with marginal success. Um, you know, Tomb of Horrors was a competitive module. Uh, you know, was it Death and Thay? The the only module I've ever had my players ask me to stop running was a competitive module. Um, the and then what was the other one? Uh, White Plume Mountain, fantastic module, one of the best competitive module. And you could, but you could tell the competitive ones. I like those novels. Yeah, I mean, these are kind of the same. I love the novels for White Plume Mountain, the trilogy. If they wanted to make a D and D movie, make White Plume Mountain. Oh, that would be so great. This is the party. Get to the end of the dungeon. There you go. You get paid when you're done. Still to my day. Have you read the novels? Have not. So, oh my God, his last name. Paul Kidd, K-I-D-D. Kidd is the last name for sure. It is a trilogy and it's like White Plume Mountain is the first one. But, so you've ran these. Did you run them as if they were competitive or did you just run it as a module? Ran it as a module. I, me and the RPGA did not get along, and me and the Adventurer Society get along even less. The minute you start putting money into a game, it stops being a game. So, how do you guys feel about this idea of making tabletop RPGs quote-unquote competitive? It's been done before. Some people like it, some people don't. Well, I'm uh, asking, do you like it or not? Personal taste, no. But I know a lot of people that do, and you know, it's like it, there's no wrong fun. Well, there is, but it's usually a felony. <laughs> well, there's that part. Other opinions? Um, it doesn't interest me. You know, I the idea of a competitive role playing game, I just like I could not engage. It's not at all what I want. I, I think it's a little contradictory to the idea of the RPG as a story element. Um, I played 
uh, you know, I think we talked once before. I, I tried to participate in a um, uh, competitive game at a convention one time, and it just seemed really odd to me. Um, I, I enjoy competitive tabletop war games, which I imagine is why uh, that sort of play, especially for Dungeons and Dragons uh, back in the day, came out. Um, because they were originally, you know, coming from Chainmail and these other tabletop simulation systems. Um, but once you're starting to talk about your individual characters and what's important to your character and starting to think about it as a story and an individual and a team effort, and it's not a competition, um, to me, that's sort of like a reversion into a totally different game mechanic. Um, and so the rules aren't necessarily, they don't necessarily coalesce. It just, it feels weird. It's like, to me, it always felt like if we were going to do that, then why aren't we playing like, you know, uh, Chainmail or why aren't we playing uh, Warhammer Tabletop, you know, or a skirmish game or something? Yeah. Well, I mean, they really wanted a lot, especially in the old days. And they're trying to recapture a lot of the old stuff was how do you just first off, it's a money saving thing. You know, like you, you have all these people that are coming to play a module. And or you know, play an adventure, and how do you you know like do we give them all different adventures? That would be insane. So we give them the same thing, but the ones that get the most checkpoints or kill the most monsters or gain the most gold, we'll give them something as a reward because you're all going to be playing the same thing. See, now I can see a way that could suddenly become very interesting when you think of it as a kind of the cooperative storytelling thing. If you look at like various stories from myths and retelling of Shakespeare, so you get the same basic group, same basic story framework, but you could get multiple different interpretations of the story. And that could be really interesting. That's what they try to do with Death and Fae, where you actually had four players playing, or four parties rather, playing the same module at the same time, but you all started in different corners of the dungeon, which is apparently was good enough that it made it as one of their, the best of a, th a third edition or fourth edition. I forget. I think it was D and D next actually. So everybody thought that was a great thing, but if you try to play it now, it's a terrible idea because playing it as a standalone module, it's this grind fest, but it wasn't meant to be a grind fest. Uh, the closest module I can think of is going old school. Um, was Castle Caldwell, which was written for kids and marketed towards adults. Um, which um, it's it. Some of these exist in in vacuums, and they're great in vacuums. But if you take them out of that environment, you 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 lose a large chunk of what made it good. Not that I'm saying Castle Caldwell or uh, Death and Thay was good. I'm just saying that they get worse if you play them in a different way. Bruce can hear us. Awesome. We're actually hiding from you, Bruce. <laughs> can hear you. I can, no, that was uh, Tropic Thunder. I can see you. I can see you. I can see who's the director. Okay, now who's the key grip? 
I mean, yeah, I, I just kind of to, to, to repeat myself, I have to say the idea of a competitive as in competition modules is not interesting. But when you start talking to how do different people respond to the ch challenges and tell different stories, um, I, I'm just kind of thinking like the various stagings of Shakespeare I've seen over the years. Yeah. That's a, that, that becomes kind of an interesting thing there. Um, how does, you know, different party mixes uh, going through a same set of uh, challenges, different character classes, that could be, that could be interesting, but this is more interesting from watching different stagings of a play as opposed to scoring points to see who's the winner. Yeah. Sorry. So generally in the competitive one, everybody's given the exact same uh party so you can't say that somebody won because they had a paladin and the other party didn't have a paladin it's very uh cookie cutter it is everyone is armed exactly the same it's kind of i guess the best way for the best television show would be the uh, ninja warrior where you just throw the party out and see how far they can get right so i had talked to this is not a competitive thing and i'm sidestepping out a little bit but i had talked to somebody once that uh was uh, talking about a, a game that they were DMing, and I didn't, you know, he just sort of explained the concept to me. I didn't really get the opportunity to sit in, but he said he was creating a game where his players, uh, his their characters became aware of an alternate universe where there were all they had alternate selves, and they could step in from time to time periodically during the gameplay. They could end up switching into the other world. And so they could move their gameplay into the other world or move one of the characters and have them switch places. And they may or may not be the same personalities. So it's kind of like that, but it's a different take on that, where they're sort of telling a similar but alternate timeline story. So when I guess when they get bored of one universe, they'd switch to the other. Or did I just totally derail y'all? No, no, that's, that, that, that's, that's, you know, I, th I think we're all kind of like the competitive role playing as in scoring points like it's a race doesn't interest us, but it does seem to be there's some interest in the idea of given the same basic framework, seeing how different groups, groups of people address it. That seems kind of interesting. I mean, in third edition, there was a major emphasis on PVP, which was a terrible idea. Oh, that's awful. Yeah, I've never seen PvP in a role-playing game work out well. Yeah, I actually got banned from a, a, a <laughs> tournament that I wasn't even playing in because this one guy asked me to help build his character, and he ended up with a uh, 12th-level Deep Gnome that was AC-48. I think if you have the right group, the right group of players that are close enough and that are okay you know, doing that, but I don't think I've ever been in that group. Yeah, it's, it's, I've been in a lot I, of I, groups. I just don't see it ever working. I, I've been in a I, lot of groups. Uh, I have to echo. I had, a, you know, my one gaming group, some of the closest friends uh, you I've ever known. Um, and the only times that group ever came close to, to completely disintegrating were the few times that PvP broke out. As in, it, it's like after two or three times of that, I wanted to actively stop any sort of player, player versus player fighting. I actually think that like, this goes back to something you had said earlier, though, about how invested people are in their characters, which I understand and I get. 
you know, I, I disagreed about the, you know, having botches being bad because you need lows for character development and all that. But <sighs> if somebody who's your buddy at the table, right, as a person, because people take these things very personally sometimes, starts trying to kill your character who you may be very attached to, it just doesn't go well. There's always somebody who gets hurt. Now, I think what happens is sometimes some people play role-playing to play a a character they wouldn't normally play. And one of the people was playing, when this triggered, was playing a, a very rough, abrasive, contentious person uh, who wasn't that person in normal, but they were using it as kind of an outlet. And that's kind of what triggered here. It's that they were literally role-playing, I think, to a greater extent than a lot of the other people. Did their character look like them, but with a mustache? I don't actually remember their Sorry. character. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, it, it was a fighter type, as all I yeah. remember at that at that point, and it, it was it was the kind of thing, as a fighter type with with um, um, a, a weak grasp of ethics, and okay. and and that's and and this was not the person in real life, um, uh, and and he wasn't he wasn't this wasn't the um wasn't an evil character, but there were times when. You know, it was a neutral character and occasionally stepped over the line and and whatnot. Some people role play to act out parts of their life to, 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 to engage in kind of a personal darkness that they don't engage in real life. Uh, and I think it's a legitimate thing for role playing, but it does require a little more care in GMing. Sure. sure. Right. Sort of like the the uh, the dark hero kind of a character, maybe. Yeah, it, it can be very interesting role playing, but it can be it can it requires a lot of deftness on a GM. I'm not sure I myself as a GM are really am really good at handling that kind of player. I I kind of things start to fall apart for for me when the party isn't all on the same side. It, it gets tough when you've got some players and you're trying to manage um, character knowledge, and some of the character knowledge from one character may be detrimental to another character. If you have a lot of that going on, it can be very hard for one team to manage. Yeah. Now, I've been lucky there is that people are very able to pretend they don't know what they know. Um, I did, my, my player's been very good at that. Um, and that, you know, so we, we didn't have to do a lot of secrecy there. But anyway, I'm, I think I'm dominating things, so I should hand off to somebody else. Do we need to move on to another topic? Sure. Let's see what we um, have. We've, the last one we have left is old D&D setting coming back to 5th edition. Since we were talking about Spelljammer earlier, they've got seven left that they haven't done. They, were, they did Greyhawk, but then they said, oh, nope, we're not bringing that back. What happened with that? They don't know. They brought out Ghost of Saltmarsh, which was just a conversion of old modules to present day with some extra stuff tacked on, but they didn't open up Greyhawk. They did the exact same thing with Ravenloft and opened up Ravenloft. That's sad. I mean, Greyhawk was like so foundational. It's almost like, you know, 
one problem with Greyhawk is the setting is based heavily on racism. There's four different human ethnicities and they can't stand each other. Oh. And the Scarlet Scarlet Brotherhood is a bunch of, uh, I guess, Flemish supremacists. They think they are the... uh, they're the, the one true race. And so they don't like the other ones, so they're always trying to corrupt the other ones to, you know, fall in line under them. And then you've got the Great Kingdom, and they're another race, and they don't like the other, the other races. So it makes for a very good story. But um, it's, you know, wiz- it's not something that Wizards wants to address. Everybody has to be happy-go-lucky and not have a problem with each other. Which is a an observed behavior of fifth edition. Hmm, okay, I've not looked into fifth edition too much. It's kind of hard to have much of a story if nobody has a problem with each other, though. Well, it's the, yes, <laughs> but they don't. They, yeah, they're trying a lot of. The, it's a lot of. They want to remove the conflict. That's why uh, half orcs in fifth edition are the result of uh, uh, humans and orcs, you know, living together and learning to tolerate each other and uh, loving each other. And then you read all the orc stuff and it's uh, the, the orc backgrounds in the, uh, the player's handbook and it's rape, murder, burn, kill. Non-stop, their god commands them rape, burn, rape, murder, burn, kill in not necessarily that order. So you've got, yeah, you've got the friendlier, nicer half orcs and then, but then you, this, there's no story segregation. Yeah, I, I mean, the always evil race kind of got old fast, uh, but an always good uh, race is also kind of tedious. Right, it's almost like an entire group of people can't have a, one alignment. Crazy. Okay. Yeah. That, that's mean... why I like human-like races. Well, but yeah. all of them are human-like if you think about it. It's like the, all, all drows are bad. No, they're not. But, but we take it. I thought, I all, all, all goblins are evil. No, they're I not. Thought, I thought all drow were chaotic, good uh, rangers with scimitars that were... Only if they <laughs> whine a lot. Only if okay, they whine yeah. a lot. I, I'm going to confess. Like I, made, I made my orcs evil because they were made from evil. I, I followed the Tolkien sort of ethos there. But most of our races are just what they are, you know, including half-orcs. They're, they're you know, more reflection of because it's people are really complex and they're really interesting and the idea of a race that's um really one-dimensional and i i hate to to pick on anyone so i'll try not to but to say that oh this race is just they're the lizard people so they're you know cold-blooded and they eat bugs and they hiss at everybody and they're 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 angry all the time or something you know is is really shallow and it doesn't make you know it's funny maybe for a game session but after that well you're again you're balancing you know the story with the rules because it's easier to have bad guys uh like you know blame gygax with keep on the borderlands where you you're there to learn how to stab things not get into philosophical conversations with them you can but it you know there was the you know they they wanted the the good versus evil and see that really confused me later when they made what was that module the uh, there was like the lost tomb or whatever you know the tomb in the desert I can't even remember the name of the module. Well, there's there was Pharaoh and then there was the lost city. Yeah, the lost. Uh, I think it was the lost city. 
where you start to encounter all these NPCs that have been underground and hiding. Yeah. And they're all insane. Yeah. And, and, and what, you know, to me, my friends, are we supposed to just kill all these people? Because of course we've been raised as, you know, little teenage murder hobos. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> from yeah. these modules. <laughs> yeah, the Phenedesians. Uh I did a review on that module. It's going to and the Goodman Games is coming out with it next year as their expanded uh game line. Uh that was but that's that's a very well done module because they're all insane, but they're all slightly different insane. And uh you know, so it, it depends on how you're doing it. Uh, like in Forgotten Realms, they turned all the gnolls into pretty much just almost quasi demons, and all mm-hmm. they do, all they, all they're there for is to hack, slash, murder, burn, kill, and, and they, they, they don't have anything on their mind other than that. And they say it's because their god, you know, created them, and they're, they're a, they're a, was a reflection of what he is. So I, I think that works to some extent, but, you know, like I said, I, I use that same mechanic to some extent, but, um, you know, real world is, is much more complex than that, right? And so it's cool to have a little bit of that complexity bleed over into our games, too, where you don't really know, you know, what somebody's about. Yeah, there's, let me see, I'm trying to think of the, the seven... Systems. Two of them are catch-alls because you've still got Planescape and you've got Spelljammer. Um, funny enough, Birthright and uh, Dragonlance doesn't have orcs. Dragonlance has the Draconians, and uh, up until they introduced the good Draconians, they were always evil because you know they were tortured good dragon eggs. And then, are they going to do Dark Sun? They got to fix the rules for psionics, mm. and that's going to be a fun one. I don't but care as much about psionics. I just want halflings that are little cannibal murder hobos. <laughs> the problem that sounds great. The problem with Darkstone Fifth Edition is you're not allowed to show skin in Fifth Edition. What do you mean you can't show skin in Fifth Edition? Wait, what? Have you seen what? the art director people that work for Wizards of the Coast? I mean, have no. you really looked at these guys? I'm sorry. These are the people that I get labeled as a bully whenever these people come up on video. And I am not sorry about it, but there's a reason why 5th edition is never going to be purchased or in my home. I'm, I'm not sorry to not support them. I will support you, small timers, all day, every day, as much as I can. But I will not admire people that go to Pinterest and put furries as the atypical fighter in a PHB, I'm not sorry about that. Uh, that's Bruce Lombardo, ladies and gentlemen. He's, um, as far as the art for 5th edition goes, um, they, there's, they've gone heavy into from neck to ankle. Everybody's got to be clothed, especially the women. You're not going to find chainmail bikinis. You're not going to find... I think there's one midriff. You can see one midriff in, in a druid in all the books. Interesting. Uh, They're doing this all wrong. You can have chainmail bikinis. They should be lined because otherwise things get pinched. Yeah. But you just have to have the opposite. We get some guys in some loincloths. Peachy. Everybody's yeah, half so naked. It's fine. If if their goal is to sell and to be market dominant, then I don't know that they're necessarily... I mean, I can't criticize, right? In terms of that. If that's their goal. Because yeah. they managed to do that. And 
whether, you know, and I'm not saying that, that, that 5e is, is my game, you know, um, it, you know, it's, I don't play 5e. Um, I have a copy of it. Um, sorry, Bruce. Um, I have a copy of it mainly for research. Um, but it's not something that I was interested in playing. Um, but they've managed to really open it up to a lot of people. Um, given that though, you know, y'all talked about expectations and new players, like, not having any risk and things like that. So once they open it up, then, you know, maybe there's room for people to say, okay, well, I want to play a game where there's more risk than 5e, right? Because it's, I've got these three death saves and all that stuff, and I don't necessarily die when I'm going to die. You know, I want to try something else. Um, so that maybe helps us a little bit, but just throwing that out there. The picture I just posted up was the succubus. That's the raciest uh, art you're going to find in fifth edition. Which is nothing like the succubus I recall from my old monster manual. Yeah, um, yeah, it's yeah. It, they've they've gone completely, um, yeah, they've gone completely the opposite direction. Uh, one of the pieces of art I have, let me find it. Uh, one of my artists is Greek, and um, I have to I had to send several pieces of art back to him because he is hardcore. Robert E. Howard art. Um, so he's like sends out he's like, he, his he sends me a succubus and she is topless and she's got a spear sticking through her. So he's like Frazetta kind of. Oh yeah, let me find it. Rubus is magnificent. Uh, in fact, I'm having him redo several pieces of art because I'm trying to get my art uniform in my book. And I don't mean to offend everybody all at once. I'm sorry about that. Okay. <laughs> I'm not offended. <laughs> this, this one with the boobies. I wasn't supposed to show that one. Discord has a problem with boobies. Um, this is a an adult rated show, so say boobies. I know. I'm just. I've been told by other people not um, to put my up. My wife is laughing next to me over here. <laughs> right, she so, can't hear this. <laughs> she just hears yeah. me talking. Um, so if you look at the art, um, you can see there's a succubus and she is topless. She's got a spear stick right. through her. Um, I've received multiple complaints that you could see her nipples. Not the fact that there's three impalements and a decapitation. Yeah, that's remember funny South about Park. the West, right? What's that? I got some crosstalk. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say that the 2000 or 90, 96 or 97 movie South Park, they said in America, we can have all the violence on television we want, but don't you dare show a ditty. That was it. Well, yeah, that gets into some really weird stuff, especially with the U.S. and body image and religion and the fact that you can shoot a cop in the head and be PG-13, but if you show a penis, you're a hard R. Unless you're, unless, unless you're showing the uh, Village People movie, that's PG, and it's got multiple male uh, full frontal. Which is weird. But they have some very I, weird rules. Weird. Apparently, violence is okay, but nudity is bad. Well, I think that was because nobody's been able to make it through more than 20 minutes of the Village <gasps> People movie. 
But yeah, this is uh, another Rubus. And as you can see, violence everywhere. And the only thing people called me out for is if you squint hard enough, you might be able to see a nipple uh, on the woman in the back. Oh, okay, that one. Yeah, you really have to go hunting for that. I'm still hunting. I was bad at Where's Waldo. You see the gladiator that's got a helmet that makes him look like a wizard? Yeah. Yeah. Look directly over his hat and zoom in. Well, you got to zoom in a lot. And you're making me work. Yeah, it's 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 like four pixels. Uh, Yeah, side boob, right there. And uh, and people were like, he's like, I can almost. You need to you need to censor that. The only way you're going to notice that is if you risk giving yourself glaucoma. Yeah, dude. Whatever. (laughs) It's a nice piece. It's a very nice picture. I would not have. I would have never noticed it without being told. Yeah, I mean, he does have a hidden one, but you have to really look hard where a lady's get. There's uh, two women in the audience, and one of them's copping a feel on the other one. He likes to hide stuff in his art. But yeah, it's uh, the 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 pendulum has swung the 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 other direction. Back in the '80s and the early '90s, we had Pat Robertson and the 300 Club telling us, you know, you can't have anything, you know, that looks too sexy or too demonic. Now we've got people that says you can't have anything that degrades women or is, shows depicts violence against women, despite the fact that a succubus is a chaotic, evil sex demon. And they're a bad guy. 700 Club, yes, not the 300 Club. I think the 300 Club was restricted to Greek men. Well, I think people are always going to criticize stuff. But yeah, you're right. I mean, we did get a lot of that. And, and, and the gaming community in particular was, not to put a pun on it, we were demonized pretty heavily in the 70s and 80s. Um, but, you know, I mean, you you can make, you, you make the game that you want to make. Um, and it's not necessarily that you know, it's going to necessarily draw a huge or small crowd. It just depends, you know. Um, I, I don't I don't see it as any reason to censor ourselves in, unless we're making a choice about the kind of audience that we right? I mean, was I just totally off? No, it, we, no. fighting censorship's a major problem with this industry. Yeah. Although some companies have done it and done it very well. Uh, then you get into some... Okay, so World of Darkness originally had White Wolf, and then they had Bad Dog. And then it got kind of interesting, because they finally Black realized, Wolf. why do we have Black to have dog. a second printing? Sorry? Black Dog. White Black Wolf. Dog, sorry. Black Dog, yeah. Why have a separate second printing thing for the worst, naughtier material when most of their stuff was never going to be considered PG-13? It was always considered an adult-oriented game. Mm-hmm. So they finally shut down the second one, blah, blah, blah. But they were always adult-oriented. They never really tried to pretend otherwise. Well, yeah. they also caught a horrific amount of flack for the Showa source book for Wraith. And that was one of the reasons why they decided to shut it down. Because let's make a, uh, let's make a gaming supplement for the Holocaust. Which is a decision outside of the showing boobs. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole different 
Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, as far as the racier artwork and things like that, there's always been a racy thing to that. And some other companies have pulled it off. Not yeah. every company can pull it off. But if and you're going to, I think you're going to, you have to own it. If you're going to go there, you got to own it. You do. And if you're going to choose subject matter that's so um, extreme, not, I'm not saying this is extreme, but it's so extreme. Like I said, it, I, I'm not familiar with that game, you know, regarding the Holocaust. Uh, but if it, bec- you know, that it's, you're not going to really have an audience, then, you know, I mean, that it's basically just offensive to everybody, then. I don't know what you're doing, really. You're not really planning. Are, are you really planning to thing with people? You know, at that point. Well, it's wizards. Is you know, wizards is the one that determines you know what we can put on their guild. So we have to play by their rules, unfortunately. Sure. Sure. And you have the the armor thing. As everybody talks about, it, you know, you can't do certain types of armor just to piss people off. I like to put people in banded mail. Just because they wrote that out of the game. So you primarily punish uh, publishing through uh, the guild then? Unless somebody wants to give me money to publish through them. Uh, most of the stuff I do was not RPG related. It was board game or card game related. And um, after my last card game, uh sold a lot of money, but then I wasn't able to republish it uh, because somebody... Uh, Made me spend all of my money getting out of uh, legal problems because he decided to run up a massive amount of bills uh, with my company, and I had to pay all those down. Uh, I wasn't able to, you know, I sold like ten thousand copies of my card game, and then yeah, con the card game. It was mostly at conventions, but I'd sell hundreds because it was a card game about going to conventions and trying to be the most popular person. And uh, I'd love to get it restarted, but I just don't have the cash. And I tried to kickstart it, and somebody uh, filed a copyright claim against it. BS copyright claim, and I beat it, but they didn't give me my damn time back. So you can't kickstarter it again? I could, but I've been super busy. I mean, hell, if somebody wants to give me money, I'll sell them the damn rights to the game. I've got the art. Well, hey, we're... We're actually coming up on almost the uh, hour and a half mark. So if we want to spend a minute uh, to talk about what it is that we do and, um, you know, all of that stuff, we'll go in reverse order from our initiative there. And we can talk about what we're working on then. Does that sound good? Yeah, sounds good. Yes. So... Uh, go ahead and knock us out, Glenn. I think you had the initiative. <laughs> yeah, it was the one that rolled. Yeah. It's a fun fact about Welsh. The word for five is pimp. Or, well, that's cool. Uh, yeah, or bim. Best or, thing to learn today. Yeah, well, it also depends on if you're using it in past tense, future tense, and whatever, because the words change. Um, so, and my dog's angry. Uh, so I am writing the Mistara Player's Handbook. Uh, I was I've completely converted one of the uh, missing settings into a fifth edition. I am currently getting some art replaced on it uh, because I need to get it uniform because some of the artists uh, had to bow out for uh, health reasons earlier, but they're better now. Um, and that's what I'm primarily working on. I'm going to try to. I've been talking with people, uh, especially dealing with wizards, to. Um, 
I can't make this the, the, it's system neutral because uh, Wizards owns the IP. Um, but uh, that's what I've been working on. I've been talking with people. I'm doing interviews like this one uh, and getting it to the attention of Wizards uh, because they're never going to do anything with the IP. They haven't done anything with it in 30 years. But they keep mentioning it in all their books that they don't open up. So, um, you know, it's... Uh, yeah, it's you know, it's it was kind of a I did it as a lark and then I uh got fired, so I wrote even more of it because I write really good angry and then I got divorced and then I wrote even more of it because I was really <laughs> angry. Um I shouldn't have laughed, up, I'm sorry. Who runs up a six hundred dollar cable bill watching pay per view? Um porn. People who like porn. No, Eagles games. No. They were watching Eagles games. In a in a NFL <laughs> uh, They did it wrong. Go back and tell them they did it wrong. They need to work. They were from Philly. Oh well, see, but, there yeah. you go. Yeah, well, I'm over them now. That was a, that was a while back, but yeah, the book's almost done. I'm having a published version come out in about two weeks, which is just going to be for me. It's not for sale, so I'm keeping in the OGL. Um, and uh, then I will be doing a video showing how awesome th this book is, and and uh, once I get the re the replacement art. Um, including a replacement cover, then I'm taking it to Wizards and saying, hey, let's publish this. And I've had did, a few people talk to me about it. I'm sorry, did you mention uh, what Mistara is uh, Mist for the folks out there sure. that aren't? Mistara was one of the original D&D settings. It was the Red Box setting. It was originally written by uh, Aaron Alston and the guy that wrote um, uh, White, Plume, White Plume Mountain, and it was theirs. Uh, they released the Gaze of Tears series, and it's a D&D &D setting with a lot of uh, real-world analogs as far as the nations go. So you've got Romans, you've got Arabs, Vikings, Mongols, uh, uh, not Pal Pakistanis, um, Polynesians, that P word, uh, Germans, Dutch, French, Spanish. And it's a very high magic world, but it also, it's all about building your uh building your character up and shaping the world which was different from the other settings because the other ones really didn't go into okay your character is now being knighted and this is how you play this and now your character has a small domain this is how you play that um it's a little bit gonzo it does have some furry stuff in there but there it's a different thing you've got the dog head and the cat head people and the tortles which are all the rage now that was originally mastara only i uh, didn't know that yeah uh, actually, if you ever, if you want to spend some good money, uh, get the dungeon magazines, I think five and six turtles of the, the purple sage. And that was a very good, uh, adventure where you had to, uh, it was a follow-up apology for the savage coast module, which was kind of incomplete. And, uh, like I said, the book's 224 pages. It's full color. It is, uh, when it comes out on the PDF, I'm going to have a, it's going to be for $15 for, I think the first 30 days and then $20 thereafter. And if I sell enough, then they let me publish it in, uh, in hardback. Well, cool. I wish you all the best. It's awesome. Um, well, hopefully nothing bad happens. So I get angry and write another 200 pages. I'll sell that too. <laughs> Okay. Um, anything else to add to that? Uh, I'll post up some links to the uh, video channel where I'm covering it and the Twitter. Okay. 
Um, like I said, it's I can talk about it for hours, but I don't want to hog the, the mic. Okay. Well, thanks. Um, so I'm looking at our order. I guess you were next, Andy. Okay, I'm Andy Watson. I'm pretty easily found either through company stuff, Discord, Twitter. I have not had a lot of time on Twitch lately. Sorry, no time for video games. They keep making me do paperwork. Personally, I'm not doing a lot with projects. I'm doing paperwork. The company's doing a lot with projects, though. We're finishing up uh, the Adept's Journey Mystic Paths. If you miss the Kickstarter, you can still buy the book when it comes out. And knock on wood, hopefully we will have another Kickstarter before the end of the year for Earth Dawn. Um, and then, of course, there's 1879. If you missed out, we just printed what we had as a webcomic and is now a graphic novel for 1879. Oh, cool. Amazingly fun. And I've announced that not only are we going to do a second one for 1879, but we are going to have a graphic novel come out for Earth Dawn. Hopefully next year. Excellent. So I get to listen to a lot of meetings for that. So doing anything myself, no. Paperwork meetings, yes. That's what I do. You guys need to do Renegade Legions again because I'm about to review that. Everybody book. says that. You only ever released one book for it, at least for the RPG. And yeah. it's, not, it's the RPG I've got. I, I uh, think it has to do with who owns rights right now. Well, that and Space Romans isn't exactly a gripping setting, to be honest. There's people who really want to, but there's like 12. And it's like, okay, you guys go <laughs> handle the money and paperwork for rights and we'll talk about it. But Space Romans versus Conquistadors. I mean, you need Pluto. Space Romans to go at your elves in space. It's fine. Wait, Space Romans versus elves? Yeah. I think about it. You know that you want to play just now. amazing. I, I don't think well you had you had space monkeys. I remember the I remember the Zog. Oh no, you this is you take half the table play, you know the Legions one and half the table's playing space spelljammer. It'd be great. Oh, yeah. oh, okay. You can totally mix and match was, games like that. I was, I was going through all the Commonwealth races. So I have a question for you, Andy. Sure. Um so first Earth Dawn in eighteen seventy nine, are they directly tied or are they yes. set, they're they're linked right yes all right so 1879 it's an extension of of that in a way so you want it... some brief history yeah just a little so shadow run used to be owned by fossa in the long long ago days when i was young pterodactyls that type of stuff right dirt was wow. first being created You're old really days. old wow really old days <laughs> Okay. Earth Dawn was made after the fact as a prequel to Shadowrun. So anybody who kind of reads both of them will notice all of the nods and winks back and forth. Okay. At some point in the grand scheme of the universe, Shadowrun is no longer owned by Vasa Corporation. Okay. Okay. There's been some ownership changes and lots of things and Vassid never really went away. It's kind of altered and shifted and come back, back around. Go towards Vassa Inc., which is much more, you know, it's the same. Ross has been with the company since the beginning. Okay. 
they decided that they were not going to try to go and get Shadowrun back, that that was not really going to be on the table. And decided that they did want to re-expand the universe and advance the timeline. So 1879 takes place in the exact same world as Earthdawn, just like Shadowrun did. But instead of happening in the well, originally when Shadow One came out, it was in the near future, which they've had to move the timeline because we're kind of hitting that time period. But they set it in Victorian era with the idea that there is a incident that causes magic to come back. If you're interested in the Shadow Run timeline, it came back early. Does that kind of clarify? Yeah, so it's sort of a, uh, as opposed to a cyberpunk fantasy, it's with weird magic portals. I'm just putting it in layman's terms. It's a steampunk fantasy with weird magic Kind portals. of. It's, it's interesting because the way it's written is you could really play it up very historically. Mm -hmm. the, Andrew has done an amazing amount of research on the history and everything. But you could play it more steampunk. You can play it more Shadowrun mission style. Like, who doesn't want to do, I mean, let's be honest, espionage with Tesla versus Edison. We, we all want to play that, right? But you also have a lot of exploration and other options that Shadowrun didn't have as much of. Not to knock Shadowrun again, that's the first game I ever played. It is the beginning of my love for tabletop RPGs, not knocking it in the least. But I love the 1879 brings in a lot of a more open field for stories. You have a lot more opportunities for different things. Is so it a similar can, mechanic? I'm sorry. It's, it is. I will not say it's the same because okay. um, Earthdawn went to fourth edition and they did a lot to not how to put this gently. A lot of our hardcore fans don't want to go to something quite as streamlined as, say, 5th edition. Okay? Not knocking anybody's stuff. Just, I think everybody gets that that one's fairly streamlined. So they tried to improve the system without streamlining it to a point that people were not going to be happy with it. So it's a, it's a really well-done system. I really enjoy what they've done with it. 1879 is similar and has a lot of similar mechanics, including the core step, which is basically a chart that says, if you have a, a step six attribute, okay, and you have two ranks in whatever the skill is, six plus two is eight. You look at the you know, core step chart and eight means I roll whatever dice. Okay. And it goes basically from D4 to, you know, two D4s to a D6 to two D6 to a D6 and a D8. Two D8, you know, that type of, you know, D4 and a D6, that type of. Okay. Which I love because you get to touch more dice. And I have a huge dice collection hoard, however you want to look at it. Well, that's cool. So, Oh, if so, you still have the, the roll-up mechanic where if you roll the max on the die, you roll it and add that We on. still explode, yep. 
Oh, so and totally I love that. I love that rolling mechanic. That was well, just and awesome. it's really interesting with the core step because, okay, so on a four sided dice, you have a twenty five percent chance of it exploding. One, two, three, four. Fours explode, right? Twenty five percent chance. Right. On a six sided dice, you have a one in six. Okay. Eight sided dice, one in eight. So as your dice get bigger, your chance of explosion actually kind of goes down, but your chance of an overall higher number goes up. So it's kind of a very interesting offset to me, mathematically, mm. but then I'm being geeky. So. Oh, and if you're looking for old stuff, I found a store that still has a lot of your Crimson Sky stuff in stock. I still see that on occasion. I actually was... Um, okay, so to make fun of me and my geekiness even more, on the way out to both Origin and Gen Con... I may have hit every half-price bookstore and a few gaming stores that I could find on my way and back because that's what you do when you're going to a gaming convention is buy gaming books and dice on your way to and from. Just, <laughs> But I did run into one game store that had a ton of Crimson Skies and another one that had a bunch of um, mech. Goodness, mech warrior. Clicky tech. Yep. I see that. Have you gotten to play it? Bruce. I don't know if you can say stuff or just type. Have you gotten to play 1879? My current gaming group is very Pathfinder centric. And so ah. this sits on my shelf and I take it to the nightstand about once, twice a month. Okay. And I read it, sadly. It looks so good. Do you work during the day? Like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday day, probably mostly Tuesday day, like 10 a.m. to 10, uh, sorry, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Central Tuesday. Right, right now, I'm working 70 hours a week at a okay. crappy demolitions job. So I said, hey, hey, hey so nothing about demolitions is crappy. You get to blow shit off. <laughs> Shush it. That would be awesome fun. It is the okay. only good thing about so, my no. job. Well, except the for the good thing six is months of uh, planning how to you're going to exactly blow something up. So I, I wish we got to play I explosives. Know. I wish we did. I actually just do the uh, chaining and uh, like old style demolitions that don't use explosives. I will pull things apart. I will beat things apart. I will hoe ram or hydraulic ram things apart. I do stuff like that. Uh, skid steers, bulldozers, heavy equipment. I think I like that. That. All of that, yeah. That's, yeah, that's most of that fun. sounds fun. Like using a sawzall to cut things up, you know. It's all good. Fun things. So, But the time slot wouldn't work. I do know that there's a few other people who've put together Discord games. I was going to say I have a Discord game that I don't run on the FOSSA server. I actually run it on my own Discord. Because I tend to be a little... If the rule doesn't suit me, I just throw it out a damn window. Actually, I don't throw it out of a window. I'm actually really strange. I have this whole thing where me and the players talk about it and come to a decision as a group about how the rules should look. It's crazy talk, I know. But I do tend to be like, I don't like how this is written. What do you guys think about? So I just run it on my own. But it's my only day game right now. And we play that like once a week. We're just now starting to... Um, Make the attempt to stream it. I think it's the only streaming I got done this last week, too. 
But I was going to say you'd be welcome if you didn't mind the fact that what's written in the book is not the complete totalitarity of my jamming. <laughs> and I work for the company and I'm like that, you know. <laughs> I'm honest. But I love the system. I love the setting of it. I really do. I love all the historical nuances. Like, um, Andrew talks about how, and it's it's very true, women were not doctors in true Victorian era, right? But there were women who were um, apothecaries. And what had happened is, as much like, because people tend to forget that Victorian era is the wild, wild west, right? Same time period. Mm -hmm. so we had snake oil salesmen everywhere else had the equivalent england had people running around saying oh i have this elixir it'll fix you and it killed so many people or made people sick whatever in england they went and decided that they were going to create a law that says anyone who passes the test can be an apothecary otherwise it's illegal for you to sell potions it's a precedent-based law system they kind of screwed up and they wrote any one, which meant women were not barred from taking the test. Some women actually passed the test. So you actually had legit female apothecaries in England. Where history takes a side turn is, is that when um, Victorian's son gets sick, instead of dying, the last person who tries to help him is a female apothecary and he lives. Whether or not she actually did it, whether or not, you know, he would have survived anyhow. He, she happens to be the person caring for him and he doesn't die and he gets better, right? Victoria is so grateful she opens her school for female medicine, for female doctors, thus giving women the ability to be doctors in 1879. And there's a whole bunch of other things like that that he's created that has a historical root that he's then turned into the alternate reality. So you have steampunk stuff if you want, you have historic stuff if you want, you have espionage, you have exploration, you have exploration on the other side of these portals, you brought back ley lines, and then you even can get into social, economic, political role-playing, if you like that. Because just because women are now doctors doesn't mean that everyone respects it. And hell, let's get even crazier. Now you're a troll and a female doctor. It's a whole thing. I would be open to that. It's really great. I actually had to explain to somebody because they were like, oh, my, I, I was testing a game before I took it to a convention. And they wanted to try to sweet talk this female elf out of some information. And they were basically like, well, they didn't have a face character. And I'm like, well, you know, if you don't think you have anything, what's your just raw charisma? And they're, you know, looking at the character sheets and the guy who had the troll is like, my charisma's really high, but I'm a troll. How does that work? And I'm like, really well in this. Magicians aren't necessarily non-combatants. Magicians can have armor. Trolls can be charismatic and sexy. There's nothing saying they can't. So it, I feel like it's just a very open opportunity story setting. That is not to say that I don't love Earth Dawn 2. Please know I do. But I really love what he's done with 1879. Sorry. 
No, that's great. Um, I think, I, at least I hope, uh, people want to hear about these things. Uh, I like to hear about these things. So, um, you know, it helps when y'all are just talking about, hey, I'm working on this project. It's like, well, let's let's hear about it. So that was cool, Andy. Thanks. It's great because I don't actually work on anything. Oh. Sit in my corner and do paperwork. Oh, no. <laughs> um, but you are a game master, and that is I am. And technically, I did do some minor writing, and I've done some editing, and I'm currently handling pretty much all of the art stuff for at least Earthdawn. So, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not a creative type like Glenn and everybody else. I'm a, I don't, I'm a don't sell yourself short. Person. Um, because GMs are by nature, I think good GMs uh, are creative types. I mean, that's a- I told that. And I'm really good at spinning a tail. I'm really good at, at um, talking. So, Writing, not so much. We are going to have to move on, though, yes. because I really think we need to hear Jeff uh, about Virtua Rasa and all the stuff that, that they've got going on. So, Okay. Uh, yes, I'm. Uh, we do Virtual Raza. It's a virtual tabletop. Um, we are very much with a, some stress on the word table. Uh, as in, it was the idea was to bring the experience of sitting around a table into the computer as much as possible, as opposed to be more of a virtual video game merged with role playing game. So uh, we um, we kind of focus. That's kind of the main focus, the main goal um, that has motivated us. It's very much a product we made for ourselves. I'll put up a link here if I can get my. There we go. Um, and we have a Patreon, which is our main funding source to the extent that we have a funding source, you know, out beyond our own pocket. Um, and let's see, recently um, we've been polishing the user interface. Um, one thing I've been putting some work into is make it um, one of the problems with the, you know, setting up any sort of virtual tabletop is it's a lot of work for the GM to get things going. Um, that's a lot of feedback we've been getting a lot. Uh, people talk about the other ones they've used, and it's like, yeah, I'd like to use it, but, you know, I need to sit down and set up. Uh, so anyway, one thing I've been working on is a workflow where you take out your camera, your phone, you take a picture of your map, uh, you upload that into the server, and with a little bit of effort, you now have that map in the server. Um, that works now, although the workflow is rather clunky, and I'm working to improve it. More generally, we're always, oh, and the other big thing I've worked on is adding players to the game has always been rather painful, and it's hopefully a little less painful these days. Um, and uh, we have other things coming down the road. Uh, if there's a develop developers out there, we're hoping to do some sort of API so people can write uh, custom plugins. So anyway, that's what we're up to. Well, cool. So, do you have a do you have an app for the the taking the picture with your? Is, uh, you just how does use, that work? you use your phone app, uh, like I've done it with okay. my iPhone. Take a picture with mm -hmm. the phone, uh, and then there is a wiki, uh, and it's you know the, again the routing here and finding it's harder than I like it to be. There is mm -hmm. a wiki in every game world uh, that where you can keep game notes and upload files. So you would go into the wiki uh, and say upload my file from my phone. Okay. And then there's some tools there. It is impossible. Uh, I, I tested this to get your camera so square to the game map 
that the grid lines in your picture will line up with your, your uh, computer. Um, I spent time there with a, a tripod, very carefully trying to precisely position things so that it came out. It's just not possible. So we, you, you tell it where the corners are, and we do a bunch of mathematics uh, to make it all line up. Um, it's this is an outgrowth of our camera feed. You can point a camera at a physical game table. Um, and um, basically, you'd have some people sitting at a table, they move their pogs around, we do perspective translations, and then the people who are remote can actually see the map, uh, and it interacts like a game map. They can zoom in, zoom out, pan around. Um, they can draw on the virtual map, uh, and it can draw on the virtual map saying, this is what I want to do, and then somebody who's looking at the map can update the, the physical map. Um, it was kind of weird that you could do this with a live camera feed, but you couldn't do it with an image you uploaded. So that's what I've been working on. Okay, cool. And I'm actually looking at your site right now here too. And some awesome. Yeah. Are see, you are so, you in the demo? Are you in the demo world now? Uh, no, I'm not. Not yet. I'm just just getting connected and stuff, and I'm looking at your tiers and stuff. So you get you actually get a forum and a wiki free at the 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 basic um and yeah. and yeah okay i mean the, the basic the base the idea of the basic free basic mm -hmm. world you get like five players and a game master mm -hmm. uh and you can have you know up to four maps um and it's kind of okay. it's kind of the intro rate um and then the premium world you get more players you can have a code gm if you want um you get a whole lot more maps um that's that's what we're going. That's kind of our, our monetization scheme. Uh, oh, we have a name generator um, for with all our talk about languages. I uh, I took an, I took a uh, language generator and created a name generator, um, and it creates some really wild languages. Um, as you can see, uh, uh, run rum I believe is would be pronounced, uh, and, and you can. Uh, basically, the, the name generator is has a seed, so you can, mm -hmm. if you find a style of language you like, you can come back to it. Uh, okay. So, yeah, I, I just uh, joined you here, and I'm run rum. Yeah, that's yeah. me. Sometimes the name generator gets a little huh? carried away, depending on your seed, huh? uh, and you get some really unpronounceable things. Uh, on the other hand, you get some really fun things. Everybody seems to enjoy playing with it. So, yeah, and if someone nice. who has the hardest time in the world coming up with names, um, I really like having a uh, a page I can just reload and get a whole new set of uh, random names and choose one. Yeah, that's nice. Uh, so you can do that, like if you're the the GM uh, and you need a bunch of NPC names. Is that yeah. I, um. Here, let me let me pop up the link specifically. This uh, you don't even need a, a world or anything here to use this. This is wide open. Um, it defaults to your world name as the seed. Uh, mm -hmm. Here, I'll post the link specifically. Uh, but you can change the seed to get a different language. Um, okay. It uses some basic linguistics. Um. So the the random names. It's it, like it chooses. Um. A random selection, a random distribution of phonetics, uh, and some in in a random assortment of, of syllable styles, uh, and then builds it on top of that. 
So, you know, some letters will be more common than others. Um, and we give you uh, a list of titles for your, your kingdom or for your language. And you, you'll see um, the, there's a seed field up there. And if you put in something different and change seed, you'll get a completely different language. Okay. Uh, which is a completely different style. Oh, I see. And there's, there's also the idea of morphemes uh, in the language generator where, like, if you think of the word island or Greenland, land is a, a term you'll see in a lot of place names. And sure. land is kind of a morpheme for place names. And it's more likely to see land in a place name than a lot of other places. So there's a lot of morphemes and you'll notice patterns where places will, uh, town names will look different from people names. Although you probably don't see that on the, you know, uh, initial, you know, 10 of each that uh, I do. You'd kind of have to go more for that. Yeah, this is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. The, the the name generator is 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 was an unexpected hit. I was um I'd spent several months uh waiting through very deep infrastructure tech issues and I was been a while since I'd done anything remotely game creative, so I cranked that out in like two days and and, and everybody's loved it ever since. So So, and you were talking about earlier, you've got a, um, you've got a pretty uh, thoroughly tested uh, random number generator in here. I see people have been rolling. Yeah, we have a dice roller. Um, you know, that dice rolling is kind of a, it's kind of a rabbit hole. Like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the Earth Dawn exploding dice um, would re almost require a whole nother, it's almost like we're going to need pluggable dice rollers at some point, I think. Okay. And I see, oh, look at that. I can move my, as I start to move my thing, it measures how many feet it is in relation to the map. And so you've got a lot of snapping features here. Yeah, there's, I, a, a there's, I, I yeah. could probably spend 15 minutes talking about the various ways you can move your unit. Um, you can, you can do waypointed well. <laughs> movement. Yeah, you can do wave. <laughs> okay, yeah, that came out not quite the way I intended, didn't it? That's um, all right. <laughs> Okay, uh, well, hopefully people meet. Yeah, you can do waypointed movement. Um, touch screen support is reasonably good. Mm -hmm. um, and not, if you do shift click or a long press, you can draw mm -hmm. on the, the screen. Uh, just do a little random scribble. Uh, basically, we okay. think of that as the virtual whiteboard or the, the John Madden feature. Okay. Yeah, it seems like you have a lot of features here for the board. Um, and and like the the mechanics. Do you um, do you have? Uh, I guess you would use the wiki for game, like game specific material or campaign besides the maps. Yeah, the wiki is for game notes. It's mostly we're okay. finding in practice mostly it's a file store for your uploaded images. Um, I do keep game notes. Uh, the wiki can the, there's permissions on the wiki too. You can make GM mm -hmm. private notes. Okay. Uh, cool. Or in, in read-only notes for the player that the GM can edit. Um, there's actually a fairly complex permissions model that mm -hmm. I've kind of basically mostly swept under the 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 um, you know swept under the rug because it was mm -hmm. painful to use, but we keep it because it's actually useful. 
Um, okay. But you can you, you basically the, the the free worlds are read only to the wor whole wide world, so people mm -hmm. can watch. And you'll see when somebody who is connected as a watcher, uh, and then you can at that point uh, upgrade them to player. Uh, and, and so, and and then there's various other access control issues that we can do. Uh, but if you want to do something exotic, you, you you probably need to talk to us so we can customize it. Okay. So how does one go about getting one of the other memberships? Do they uh, do they do that by supporting your Patreon, or is well, you, you can get a free world by um, logging on. Uh, mm -hmm. And you can log in with either you can create an account or we support like five different Google, Facebook, Discord, uh, Patreon and Amazon. You can log in with all of those okay. uh, and then you can create a, a, what are the basic world yourself Okay, and just go to town. Uh, we would love to hear from feedback. Uh, and if you want to upgrade, uh, support us on Patreon and we'll get in touch with you to upgrade you. Okay. Um, All kind of a manual process at the moment. Uh, if we get a wave of people, we'll start automating. Cool. Do y'all have any questions uh, for Jeff? Or this is neat. Jeff, you there? Yes. All right. Currently, I run a uh, grid-based D and D style game, and I broadcast it on YouTube. I use Discord yeah. for audio because it seems to be quicker to deliver audio than YouTube is. But I want to know about Virtual Rasa. Is Virtual Rasa okay. compatible to where I can just stream from my YouTube channel and I can take it directly to VR and I can do that and I can have the interactions as such? Um... That's I, I'm not I, I'm not exactly sure your full setup. Um, you would want to like do you would want to do like a, a, a video stream uh, video capture that would then go to YouTube. Do you record it and then put upload it later? or Is it a live stream? I always go for live streams because I want to hear the chatter at the table that I miss. I want to hear things that I didn't hear the first time. I want to review things the day before I run a game. I want to do that and call me obsessive. But I think as a DM, that's kind of important. And if you do a stream like what I do, you want to have a place to, to remind yourself what we did last game. My games are every three weeks, so I tend to forget from sleep to sleep. Um, I don't really... I, I'm not. I'm not under. I've not tried to do that, so I'm not sure how that technology works. Um, it. I mean, is it? A, is it? Do you normally just put a camera at something and stream it, or are you streaming what's on your computer screen in, into YouTube? I have a sixty-dollar camera. <laughs> I have a uh, sixty-dollar microphone. It seems to pick up the bass in my voice and not quite the treble. But okay. I do a uh, I do a live stream on YouTube with those two tools, and I've got two laptops that I will occasionally use. The second laptop, also known as my virus machine, but I usually don't have to access that. But it'll be within arm's reach while I run the game for the players at my table. 
I do have one remote player in West Virginia, and I wish you would move out of that state because you don't have Google Fiber. Okay. Um, so the camera setup we have for streaming the video is designed basically for your West Virginia player um, so that you can take your physical table and Im embed it in Virtual Raza. Um, I, I think we'd have to talk a bit more to see if we can make this work. Um, it sounds like you're just streaming what's going on at the table. Um, and uh, I think I'd have to give you a definite maybe, which isn't terribly useful. Uh, but this sounds like an interesting thing. And if you want to like follow up uh, afterwards to see if we can somehow make it work, uh, that would be great. You know, I would be more than happy to do that. I was thinking about going with some VTT service. I haven't subscribed to that yet. Still kind of unsure if I'm going to stay where I'm at, go back to the oil field. But my game is still going to take place at some point, And therefore, I do want to have a recording of it. That way I can archive it. Right. Now, if I were to do this, and we've been talking about doing this, of recording sessions, we'd basically do a screen capture, a video screen capture of what we're doing on screen. Uh, and then, you know, basically for creating tutorials, like this is how you do this and that. Uh, you know, the ideal design for software is tutorials are not necessary because everything is obvious to use. Um, having tried to make that kind of software, I realized why a lot of software is not easy to use is it's really hard to make them easy to use. So tutorials are, so that's what I would do there. I don't know how to do a live stream screencast like that, though. I don't know what the, I'd have to do research on the software that's available. Um, the way we usually use this ourselves, uh, my partner and I live on opposite sides of the country, um, is we use uh, we use Google Hangouts for voice, although that's been increasingly frustrating. Um, I'm finding Discord works really nice. They, they seem to have gotten something down. Um, uh, so we use that for voice, and then we use the uh, virtual, virtual Raza as the map, uh, the chat tool, the dice roller, um, basically everything else. Except character sheets, people usually use a, a whatever they whatever um, usually Google spreadsheets for their character sheets. Google spreadsheets won't make me have an aneurysm like the next damn player that comes up to me with Hero Labs. <laughs> we are very much um, we're we're not tied much to any specific game system. Um, you know, in terms of measuring distance is the closest we have. We have a, a vague notion of, of um, initiatives, which is a number. Uh, but we don't, you know, we're very much game system agnostic. We, we kind of started thinking with the, the big dry, uh, wet erase map you have on your, your table. And we said, let's bring that into the computer. And then we started adding graphics. So there is a question on the virtual browser chat of how do you change your name? Uh, changing a name requires a logged in account. Uh, for the, the kind of anonymous access you're getting here, we give you a random name, but um, letting, ran letting anonymous people just put whatever name and whatever they want to say uh, on the internet is not always safe. Uh, and so, okay. so yeah, we, we kind of, we're kind of dancing a line where we let people have enough anonymous access so they can see how it works. 
but not so much anonymous access that they can come in and uh, trash the place then run away. Sure. That's the unpleasant reality of the, the internet these days. Um, I am kind of trying to figure out a way that anonymous, you could grant anonymous players um, access to your world so that the only person who needs an account is the GM and then everybody else could connect. The problem with that is if somebody connects anonymously, how do you know that it's who they say they are? I would think after like 10 or 15 minutes of interaction, you might figure out this isn't who I thought it was, but yeah, that can really mess up a game session. Right. Well, more questions? Actually, do we have questions Thank for you. anybody here before uh, before we wrap up the show? Guess not. Sounds like a wrap. It does. Um, wow. Uh, I thank you all for coming out um, and uh, enduring uh, and and hopefully enjoying this reboot of Coast to Coast. Uh, we're trying to get things up and running again. Uh, we will be off the air, or at least not on here uh, next weekend. Uh, it'll be Labor Day weekend. And my wife and I are uh, going to be at ReaperCon running games for folks and hopefully learning how to paint miniatures. So uh, we'll miss y'all then, but we're going to pick right up again the weekend of the uh, 6th and keep things moving. Um, again, thanks. Uh, thanks, Andy. Thanks, Glenn. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, thanks, Bruce, for coming out. Yeah, see you guys. Enjoyed it. Yep, I'll see you next time. Thank you for having me. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good, good night. Goodbye, Craig. <laughs>